0: Well, let's decide, first of all, what is a Christian? Uh, And then let's decide what is the Christian lifestyle. And we can put those two together. Um, I can uh, tell you right now the answer is no. (laughs) But that's without any kind of explanation. Um, What is a Christian? A Christian is any person. And a person, by the way... Well, let me back up. Any person who has decided that Jesus is who he says he is and desires to receive his forgiveness for rebellion against God's will. Okay, any person, and now a person is any being who has mind, emotions, and spirit. That's the definition in the Bible. Jesus himself is a person. God is a person. You and I are persons. Any person who has decided—and that's a spiritual decision—to become a Christian, it's not a cognitive decision. The spirit we have, we have uh, because we are created in God's image, is um, is mindful, has a mind of its own, and probably always—I don't know this for sure—certainly often tells our brain and our mind what's going on with itself. But the decision to um, spiritually accept Christ as, um, as our Savior is a spiritual decision. So when that decision is made uh, that Jesus is who he says he is and he says he is God. He says he is eternal God. Uh, I'm not going into the theology of all that and the biblical support for that statement, but it's there. And that person desires to receive forgiveness For the rebellion against God's will. Everybody has rebelled against God's expressed will and the will that they believe God has expressed, whether he has or not. It really doesn't matter. If the rebellion is there, the rebellion is that which requires forgiveness. Um, That's why the Bible just as an aside says, um, if it's a sin for you, it's a sin. So if I think I'm rebelling against God's will, then I am rebelling against God's will. All right. There are many other definitions of what a Christian is. That's going to be good enough, I think, for us for now. Um, All these things. By the way, one of the frustrations we have is putting uh, this kind of a conversation in a 30-minute time slot or half of that if we do two questions. And all these questions are really semester courses. Yes. So... um, We'll just summarize here the best we can. I can tell you what's not required to be a Christian. Uh, You don't have to have a lot of knowledge. You don't have to have a master's in theology to be a Christian. You don't even have to have a Bible to be a Christian because knowledge of who Christ is comes from God himself, from the Holy Spirit himself. People sometimes say, well, what about people who don't have a Bible? God will take care of that. He will be able to communicate with a person's spirit. You don't have to have a high IQ. If you had to have a high IQ, uh, somebody mentally ill, somebody with a very low IQ could not become a Christian. Can a person in a coma become a Christian while they're in the coma? The answer is yes, they can. How does that work if they're not thinking about these things? Because it's a spiritual decision. They don't have to follow, we don't have to follow a code of behavior to be a Christian. Now I'm getting into Christian lifestyle. Um, Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? And the answer is no. Do you have to help other people? And the answer is no. Do you have to show love to other people? No. Do you have to um, do good works in order to be a Christian? Now, I'm talking here about becoming a Christian, not living a lifestyle of a Christian. Uh, do we have to get rid of bad habits and behaviors? Repent and become a Christian. No, you don't have to. If we could get rid of all our bad habits and our rebellion, we wouldn't need forgiveness. We'd, we'd be perfect. And so everybody who comes into the kingdom comes in deteriorated, comes in... Uh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, uh, when I invite some of my family members, they're just waking up or their hair is all messy and they're wearing Crocs and <laughs> sweatpants and they're like, I can't go to church like this. I'm like, I don't care how you go to church. Just come with me. Oh, well. Or, like I, I would rather you be there with me and soaking up the Lord and making the best decision of your life than just carrying on doing what you're doing. So like as you become a Christian, as you're stepping in a relationship with Christ, I think It's spot on. You don't necessarily need to clean the house because Jesus is going to come in and do that. That's the whole idea. Yeah, and so like, that's one of the harder parts for people who are not in faith or not in relationship is they think that identity of Christ, he is perfect, but that we need to make ourselves perfect for him to know us, love us, and be with us. But that is not the case at all when you're first starting out. No, coming (laughs) into
0: the kingdom of God is come as you are. That's right. Exactly as you are. Mm-hmm. And while Jesus is perfect, which means complete in that he is God, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't mean that uh, he always looked his best. Picture him carrying the cross up the Via Della Rosa after having been beaten and scourged. He didn't look his best. Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, get ready to go to church. But the way we dress to go to church varies depending upon what part of the country you're in and what church you go to. Okay, good, good point. We become a Christian by grace, through faith, and it's by grace alone. Through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not by any behavior. Uh, that's right out of the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Another way to say that is being a Christian is a gift, Grace. It's a gift, and it's received by trusting Jesus that he is who he says he is. He's the giver, and not by behavior. We can't earn it. We can't do anything to become a Christian and uh, go through rush week to join the fraternity. Behavior can't help us obtain our Christian identity, and it can't make it go away. Now, I don't want to get into too deeply, once saved, always saved. But um, once we are saved, we are always saved, because uh, we are promised everlasting life, and everlasting life uh, will exist if it stops once in a while, or if it isn't everlasting. So we we have that uh, by grace faith in Christ, and then we're in his family everlastingly. So it doesn't depend on behavior, and that pretty well takes care of the question, uh, how can that guy over there be a Christian when he behaves the way he does? Well, we all are Christians uh, if we have been adopted by Christ and are in the kingdom, and uh, we don't have the wherewithal to look at somebody's behavior and decide if they're a Christian or not, the Bible says that "Judge not," and that context is in determining another person's spirituality or their relationship with God. We don't, we can't do that. We can't look at each other. I, I'm an ordained pastor. I have taught every verse in the Bible. I have uh, been uh, 42 years in the pulpit, and. Am I a Christian? You can't determine that I am by looking at all that behavior because I'm really messed up sometimes. Uh, and so we don't make decisions about other people's judgments. Uh, or I'm sorry, we don't make a judgment about other persons' decision to receive Christ. Um, now, now that we have kind of, in an abbreviated way, Uh, Defined what a Christian is, let's look at Christian lifestyle. Uh, And one of the questions we got that I I remember is, do I have to go to church uh, to be a Christian? And the answer is no. I can't even define the Christian lifestyle. Uh, Look at the Benedictine monks. They're Christians. Look at their lifestyle. They live in a monastery. They wear um, robes. They uh, Do they have hoods? I think they do. I'm not sure. They have ropes around their waist. I know that. They um, have taken a vow of silence, which means that they do not speak unless there are exceptions. There is something vital to say, and then they have to say it in the shortest words possible, uh, the shortest way possible, and they have to speak in a low volume. So there's the Christian lifestyle. They go to church three or four times um, a day. Uh, they sleep fully clothed. They bathe occasionally when it's necessary. Benedictine monks. There's the Christian lifestyle. Amish people. No electricity. No um, no electronics. Although, ironically, they have a website. But uh, they live... Uh, in a community and emphasize community. One of their values is to help one another whenever anyone ha- needs help. Uh, that's a Christian lifestyle. What about the Mennonites? The Mennonites are pacifists, they will not join the military. Uh, they too have uh, a dress that is recognizable. They, uh, let's see here, there's a big pause. Ryan can take that out. Um, the Mennonites have a particular diet, that uh, most of them, that they stay with. There's a lifestyle. Uh, they would use uh, electronics and electricity. Okay, now let's do Protestant evangelicals. What is the lifestyle there? It depends upon the emphasis of the denomination. Uh, some drink no alcohol at all. Some won't dance. There are all these behavior guidelines, or laws, if you will, that are imposed or inflicted by the church upon them. Um, Some will uh, not uh, use any kind of vulgarity in their speech. uh, Any sex outside of marriage is condemned, Uh, and that, by the way, is biblical, but uh, it's part of the lifestyle. Do they have to attend the... um, the potluck dinners in the basement of the, ch- of the church with the uh, five bean salad. I don't know how many beans are in that Christian salad. I'm not sure how many. And do they have to uh, attend church and spend so much time in their Bible readings every day? You see where this is going? This, these are not just behavior guidelines. They are accepted by certain groups of people um, as laws. Reformed theology. Uh, no pictures of anything religious, no pictures of any of Jesus anywhere, no images of uh, saints anywhere. Um, infant baptism, adult baptism, all these behaviors. What do you have to engage in in order to be a Christian? We've already learned that we don't have to engage in any of these behaviors because the salvation is not connected with our behavior. But the media will tell us and the movies will tell us and the television shows and the books will tell us that we have to be good so we can get to heaven. But that isn't true. We are welcomed into the arms of God by God himself and he makes the provisions for that. So um, I think that the point that is important to get across is there is no real requirement to be involved in a Christian lifestyle, as it's defined, in order to be saved, in order to be um, have a ticket to heaven, if that's the way to say it. Now, there are guidelines in God's word. We're not to lie. That's Thessalonians. So does that mean we? Have, what about surprise parties? What about um, Santa Claus? What about, do we tell children everything, or do we guard them against some of the truth? Uh, Do we guide them away from truth because it's too brutal for a young child to see or to know about? Uh, Those are decisions that have to be made with one general commandment, and that is, what of all these guidelines, all these rules, all these church-inflicted uh, <laughs> imposed, inflicted uh, behaviors, do we obey? And the decision is what is loving and what isn't. And we have to use God's definition of love, not ours. There are a lot of people say, oh, this is loving, this is loving, this isn't loving, you shouldn't do that. God's definition of love, which is predominantly expressed in 1 Corinthians 13, but really throughout the whole Bible, from Genesis to maps. It's all in there. It's all about love. We make our decisions based upon what is loving and not and not uh, what is um, a commanded behavior. Now, there are some commanded behaviors. We're not to murder. Uh, we're not to uh, commit adultery. That's kind of on the stone. But there are some gray areas. Uh, what... Um, is it okay for me to double park if I'm um, in a hurry to get into a store and I have to get into the store right now well is it loving or is it unloving is it against the law yeah it's against the law Um, it was against the law for David to take his men into the tabernacle and eat the sacred bread that was in there and he was hungry and so he took it and God said Okay, because the value supersedes the value of his hunger and satisfying that superseded any kind of law that was set up at the time. Now, this becomes ambiguous. It's a gray area. It's why the Bible says, I think, if it's a sin for you, it's a sin. If you think you're rebelling, you're rebelling. Uh, so does a Christian have to live a Christian lifestyle? No. No. What, what do you have to, what lifestyle? Which one? Uh, what do you wear to church? I picked a whole career so I wouldn't have to wear neckties. I think neckties are the dumbest garment anybody ever invented. Oh, but then I had to because I became a pastor in a church where we had to wear a necktie on Sunday. Now that's all gone. Um, I think that these decisions have to be made Uh, in accordance with the law of love and not being restricted by uh, imposed rules. Now the problem with following those rules is they become like law and we are free from the law. That's called Galatianism. Uh, The whole book of Galatians was written to show that we are free from the law. Why would we imprison ourselves by our own law or a church-imposed law? or a peer-imposed law, or a family-imposed law. Uh, Why would we give up our freedom in Christ to uh, have to follow the laws that are non-biblical? They can't be anti-biblical, but non-biblical means they're not in the Bible. And so we make our decisions based on, um, I think, our freedom in Christ.
1: Okay. Comments. <laughs> yes, lots. As lots. you said, it was a it's a semester course to unpack. So it is maybe an idea that we take forward mm-hmm. is is working a mini series on what it is to uh, be a Christian and live out a Christian lifestyle. I know there's denominations and peoples and sects of what it is that the the Christian umbrella is and and how they behave, but just. When we're dealing with biblical truths, what are some things that we would need to um, hold on tighter than looser or some things that we can like, oh, hey, we're walking into this church and it's it's not necessarily <laughs> a church. It, it might be something a little bit different. And so some things, some identifiers of um, things that we could look to and unpack in the Bible. So yeah, this is definitely a bigger topic and things that it I is. look Thank forward you to for saying that. Yes. Um, unfold, unpack, and get to know better as we dive, in it, dive into it through conversation. One thing you had mentioned was Santa Claus. We are airing this during Santa Claus time. It is um, <laughs> December right now as we are airing. And something in my family, uh, my wife had got me a Christmas present. It, it happens. She did. Even though I said it I happens. didn't want anything. I told her I didn't want anything. And so she told my daughter, Mila, she told her like, hey, this is what we got dad. Now you can't tell him. Like, and then Mila comes, as soon as I get home, she's like, we have a surprise for you. And, but I can't tell you. And then like the whole idea of Santa Claus, some of the kids say, do, if I do Santa Claus in the classroom, or they ask me in the classroom, if I do Santa Claus and I, in our family, we don't, it's our choice. Um, and what, what do kind you of do Santa, you dress up or dress up. We don't, we don't like say Santa got you gifts. We don't take them to Santa for pictures. Okay. We, we don't okay. do the whole reindeer thing. Okay. Um, Santa is there. Like we just tell them it's a fictional character, but we don't necessarily put all of the, the weight of Christmas onto Santa Claus. Um, got it. So where, where do you stand on kind of these, these playful, Like the white lies or the surprises or the like a surprise party or a secret? Like, is there a fine line? Is it blurry? Is it all in good fun? How does that play with you? You know,
0: lying to a person is uh, the the base of lying uh, to a person is the intent to deceive that person. To withhold information from a person can be a lie of omission, but a surprise party and you don't tell somebody where you're going, I wouldn't consider that an attempt to deceive them. It's just withholding information from them. There are legalists who will absolutely not uh, say anything that is not factual to somebody. Um, I am going to say that... um, I tell my students that they can ask me any personal question they want to ask me. Now, I will not lie to them, but I may say I don't want to answer that question. And that's not a lie. If you have a child who says there's a gift and I can't tell you what it is, that's not a lie. That's the truth. So I don't really, I'm not going to spend a lot of energy working on the legalism of Is this totally accurate? Is it not accurate? This kind of gets into in premarital counseling. uh, Should we tell our spouse everything? And I think no, we shouldn't. And that is contraindicated by a lot of people's thinking. Um, I wouldn't deceive my spouse. I wouldn't want, I would not sponsor deceiving my spouse or any spouse. But I'm not sure that everything is going to enhance the relationship. I think we need to be open, yes. But a lot of what goes on in my life is boring. And a lot of what goes on in her life is probably boring to me. And we both recognize that, and so we don't tell everybody. We don't tell each other everything. Um, that has That's a judgment as time goes on. So... Um, As the relationship goes on, as long as we know that we're not to deceive surprises, let's have surprises. Uh, Let's have surprise parties, I guess. I hate parties, but uh, let's have surprise parties, I guess. Uh,
1: There's my answer to that one. Very good. All right. Thank you all for listening here on Brewing with Jim. Much appreciated. Please send an email with your thoughts, your questions, your insights to brewingwithjim@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Please Looking do that. Looking forward to interacting with you all very, very soon and frequently. Thank you all for listening and have a great day. Bye, everybody.